0: I'm Brian Santo, E.E. E. Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to E.E. E. Times On Air. And this is the weekly briefing for the week ending November 5th. Virtual reality is another one of those technologies that people have been talking about for decades, but whose biggest payoffs seem to remain stubbornly in the future. Now Facebook one of the biggest companies on the face of the planet, is betting its future on unleashing the potential of VR. Mark Zuckerberg's grandiose plan to remake his troubled social platform Facebook into a VR powerhouse has cultural hurdles, of course. But Facebook will also be facing technological challenges. And furthermore, Zuckerberg could be steering his company into an area where he might run into some formidable competition. This week, life, the metaverse, and everything, with our guest, Kevin Creewell, Principal Analyst at Tyrius Research. First, some news. Processor companies are compelled to publicize what's on their product roadmaps at least two years ahead. So, we've been hearing about Intel's Alder Lake 12th generation processor core for so long, it's almost a surprise to find out that Intel only just introduced the actual product. One of our top stories in EE Times this week includes a rundown on Alder Lake, on Intel's artificial intelligence offerings, and on its new development environment called OneAPI. NASA has begun the process of upgrading radio communications between Earth and space with laser based systems the new systems will increase data transfer rates and reduce latency. We've got the story on NASA's upcoming launch of a satellite that will demonstrate the ability to not only establish such links, but also to evaluate atmospheric conditions and react appropriately to achieve maximum throughput at all times. We have also got an article on some intriguing research on using the human body's biological network as a communications network. In this case, the application is hooking up hearing aids. The concept is called human body communications. If you are already on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left. You'll see links to all of these stories. Or you can also go straight to eetimes.com where you can find these stories along with all of our other coverage. Are you a crackerjack developer looking to impress friends, family, and coworkers with your innovative design ideas? Well, have we got an opportunity for you. EEWeb, our sister publication, is running its first ever design competition. The challenge is to develop an innovative motor control system that can be built using Arduino. The contest is open to any and all. Entry is free and it's easy to enter. Just submit your idea for a project on the EE Web website at eeweb.com. You've got until November 19th. After that, our judges will pick the top five proposals. The five finalists will receive free Arduino Portenta H7 kits, along with a couple of hundred dollars each to spend on parts, as well as licenses to Altium's development tools. Finalists will have three months to actually build their proposed systems. In March, we'll announce the top two winners. Again, sign up at eeweb.com. There's a link here on this podcast episode webpage that goes directly to the contest rules. Enter today. How long have we been talking about virtual reality? The concept of creating digital environments with the use of modern computers goes back to at least the late 1960s. Computer scientist and artist Myron Kruger was using the phrase artificial reality in the 1970s. In the 1980s, Jaron Lanier, who created some of the first virtual reality hardware systems at his company, VPL Research, certainly didn't invent the phrase, but he unquestionably popularized it. The upshot here is that the idea of virtual reality, or VR, has been percolating for a long, long time. But VR has yet to truly take off for a lot of reasons. It's neither cheap nor easy to create both rich virtual environments for mass consumption and the infrastructure necessary to sustain them. Over the years, various companies have dabbled in VR, but among the largest companies, Facebook in particular has been dedicated to the technology. It bought goggle developer Oculus in 2014 and has stuck with that business. For the last year or so, CEO Mark Zuckerberg has been talking up VR, or as he hopes to brand it, the Metaverse. That term definitely is not new, by the way. It was probably coined by writer Neil Stevenson in his 1982 novel, Snow Crash. If you like science fiction and you haven't read it, you really ought to get to it. Anyway, Zuckerberg recently doubled down on the metaverse, declaring that Facebook's future will be in VR. His pitch is that the change in corporate mission is so radical it merits changing the name of the company to Meta. Facebook says the name change has nothing to do with its problems that have sprung out of its inherent refusal to take any responsibility for its business model or its actions. Hey, maybe they sincerely believe that. Anything is possible. Which explains why we're talking about VR today. And that brings me to introducing today's guest. Kevin Creewell is a principal analyst with Tyrius Research, where one of his areas of coverage just happens to be VR and AR. Kevin is an industry veteran, a savvy watcher of technological and business developments, and we're pleased that he's been a regular guest on this podcast. Here's my conversation with Kevin about life, the metaverse, and everything. So we have noticed you and I that like there's this this amazing new trend called the metaverse.
1: How meta what? Yeah exactly. What's a, what's a matter of you? Hey, what's matter of you Hey?
0: Yeah. uh, Let's let's hope there are some people out there who remember Bullwinkle and Rocky. Um, (laughs) So we've got Facebook uh, famously either. uh, Well, they were on the metaverse before they got into a lot of trouble. So it's it's not it's legitimately not only a distraction from from whatever whatever political Wins they're facing. It's a real idea that uh, that Facebook has been looking into for a while, and yeah, then, that's, that's uh, and why they bought they bought, they bought Oculus up, right? for that
1: very reason, right? Yeah, they bought Oculus yeah. because they wanted to double down on and this idea of an extended connection between people using virtual reality. So Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is a true believer in that sort of metaverse ready player one type of uh, view of the world. So.
0: Yeah, I, well, I guess the question is how many more people will buy in. I mean, uh, you you take a look at, uh, you know, I mean, for instance, you take a look at a, a visionary like Elon Musk builds Tesla, and everybody has to play catch up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oculus has been around for a while, as uh, and and nobody's really, I, well, not nobody it's VR and AR still hasn't caught fire. It's still an idea, but it just hasn't caught fire yet.
1: Yeah, no, I'd say it has, I would agree. Uh, Except for the fact that, I mean, they have sold millions of these Oculus Rift um, headsets.
0: Yeah.
1: Now the question is how many of those are sitting in closets collecting dust? Uh, And not, so there was definitely a sense that this was cool. This is new. Everybody wanted one. There were a shortage of, uh, people bought them a couple years ago. And last year, the quest two came out and then they used it for a little while. And then a lot of times they just got put aside and, and never picked up again. Uh, Mm -hmm. even during, uh, the Oculus connect, uh, uh, event, uh, there was that was a question that John Carmack, their their uh, uh, consulting CTO, uh, suggested that this is could be a real problem that they're just not of people just picking it up and just getting into it, and yeah. some of it I, I you know, and some of it is the it, it's kind of clunky still. Um, you need hand you need these controllers in your hands to track stuff. The, the the thing on your face is kind of bulky. You get maybe a couple hours at best of of use before the battery runs out because they don't have a lot mm. of battery in it. Um, right. But uh, there's a whole bunch of new titles coming. Um, and and a couple weeks uh, I'm going to be at Augmented World Expo, which is one of the, the big events uh, in this space. And then there's a whole bunch of new headsets coming out, but uh, certainly the company that has invested most in the metaverse, uh, type of concept is Facebook. Um, they're, they're selling the Oculus stuff pretty much at cost. So mm-hmm. that, that's both good news and bad news. It's good because it gets a lot of headsets out to a lot of people at a reasonable price, but it's bad because it's difficult for anybody to compete with them because it's mm-hmm. subsidized, you know, Mark uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook are throwing billions of dollars at this thing. And, um, so they're underpricing it to try to get it to a, a large group of people. So it, it it's a it's it's kind of a a mixed bag there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So one of the interest. So a part of the question, I guess, is um, what you actually use this stuff for. So you've got uh, um, uh, you've got. Uh, different applications. Some of it's gaming. Uh, we know that there's some that's industrial, but those tend to be very—they tend to be really valuable, but also really low volume.
1: Yep, and, and those have been around for a very, very long time. Um, yeah, uh, augmented reality glasses for um, r- uh, repair work, construction, uh, that type of applications. That's like these type of glasses—you know—have uh, been around for a long time, actually, uh, mm-hmm. for those applications, industrial.
0: Right, right, and it's just those companies are doing okay, but their their business model is kind of a low volume thing. Uh, You know, Zuckerberg, uh, Facebook—they're talking about millions, you know, maybe tens of millions, and then it's also there are other people who are are there are other companies in the industry that are interested in VR. uh, or could have an interest in VR they're positioned to do it um, but part of the question is what is VR is it I mean Zuckerberg it sounds like he's thinking about this like this this social universe uh, you know you talk to Microsoft they're talking about maybe gaming for the Xbox what what is what's the metaverse and is it different from company to company
1: Well um, let me clarify that Microsoft has yet to actually, Promote a, a VR solution for Xbox. Sony, though, has right. PlayStation VR, uh, right. and they've been they've been using that for gaming. Um, yeah, it, it, Microsoft is fo- has focused on the industrial applications, the vi- the visualization. They just announced uh, a Microsoft Mesh, which is a co-presence type of application, and this is actually very similar to what NVIDIA has been talking about um, mm-hmm. with their Omniverse. Which is the uh, a, a co or kind of a mix of of 2D reality through flat screens and 3D using VR or AR uh, headsets to uh, allow people to cooperate on projects. In if it's a work project or cohabitate spaces. I mean, some of it is you know we're we're talking about Zoom fatigue. People are just tired of mm-hmm. doing f- flat video conferencing if you've got more of a presence through a a holograph or or hollow presence of some sort, maybe that's more natural and maybe that's more interactive and, and it feels more like you're in uh, touch with the other person and, you know, coexisting in a, in a space, uh, a virtual room, so we say uh, so that there's advantages there. Whereas uh, Zuckerberg is definitely more social, although the, the, the lead application for VR has always been gaming. Uh, in in that regard. Uh, But Mark wants to go beyond gaming. He wants this kind of co-presence in a VR world. Uh, And that's pretty much ready player one type of environment where you go into a a, a virtual reality environment, you work with other people, they have their own avatars, you build stuff, you trade stuff, and it becomes its own virtual um, economy as well. And, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, and, and again, this is not completely new. I mean, we there was, uh, if everybody was old enough to remember Second Life. Second we Life. Did,
0: what, do you, what do you mean old enough to remember? Second Life <laughs> is, still exists, man.
1: I know. It's still around. And then there was a follow-on, <laughs> Sansar, from the same guys, which was a, a better virtualization environment. But, yeah, Second Life, which was really designed just for 2D screens, but a virtual a, a place where you could, uh, build and trade uh, and sell items in a virtual economy as well as like you know people companies like IBM would have virtual reality meetings in Second Life so we've been kicking this thing around for a while and what's getting better is the hardware and the company that actually does the most of the hardware for standalone VR and AR is Qualcomm Qualcomm is
0: right.
1: they positioned themselves as the lead in this area and they've continued to invest in it. Um, you know, Samsung had dabbled in it and then sort of lost interest. Uh, you know, there are other companies that could do more work in this area, like MediaTek, Huawei, mm-hmm. whatever. Those companies haven't really stepped up yet uh, to to a, uh, a volume platform. Whereas Qualcomm has created their own uh, version of the chips specifically for AR VR. Um, they've invested more in this space than anybody else has, and and, and keep building uh, reference platforms and and such.
0: In your estimation, is um, is being able to are, are the is the, the set of skills you need for uh, building a virtual reality platform? Um, are they uh, are, are they unique, or could someone like a Huawei or a MediaTek or whomever just decide? okay, we're committing to this, bing, we're in, and we're competitive, or if somebody were to make that decision, they'd be playing catch-up with Qualcomm.
1: Well, they're playing catch-up with Qualcomm just because Qualcomm has done the most work so far. So you have to right. catch up with what they've already invested into uh, developing reference platforms, understanding... Uh, uh, Sixed off type of of mm-hmm. tracking, uh, all the tracking algorithms and and the working with the vendors in terms of optics and all that, those optics have to be uh, uh, tuned for VR and AR, and,
0: and that's not insignificant.
1: No, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's not to say that you nobody can't do it. It's just a matter of uh, making the an investment. And and uh, I think what it is, everybody's waiting for the market to really develop. Uh, mm-hmm. there's probably not enough market share for everybody to get involved. So, all right, Qualcomm's got it for now. If, if at some point in time, the thing that really takes off, it really sort of, uh, takes, you know, really starts selling tens of millions of units, then I, I expect other people will step in, other companies will step in, in the space. And, and it's not even to say that, uh, a company like Facebook or, or, uh, uh, or the other vendors in this area don't mm-hmm. d- don't build their own chip. Uh, yeah. Facebook has capability of of doing chip designs. Um, Google does. Uh, there are other uh, right now. Google I think is has, has been there done that, um, and they're, they're holding. I think they haven't. Uh, uh, I think they're holding off uh, getting involved in the metaverse at this point in time. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know they could at some point in time say this is too important for the that you know Facebook's in it, Microsoft's in it. We we Google need to be in it as well. So there, there'd be another player I could see getting involved.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm um. It, it was interesting that you brought up second life. I mean, I, I think um, I, I'm of the opinion, having seen a lot of different technologies uh, develop second life was a great idea. That was maybe a little bit too early, a little bit before the technology could really deliver on the promise Oh yeah, and socially too early. I mean, the the notion of living in a virtual space wasn't really there. And now I'm thinking that's no longer the case. I don't know if you've I, I haven't actually played like the Farmville games. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, even in my, uh,
1: my you know oh, Microsoft
0: yeah yeah where where you already you actually have a digital co- a, economy and people are are trading you know resources and interacting with each other and it's on a flat 2d screen, I can see where there is a um, culturally a greater openness to jump into a virtual world because they've already kind of been there. it was 2d going 3d probably would not be that big of a jump.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that was its sort of interesting about how 3D and gaming has evolved, um, you know, the original video games started off in, in arcades. Right. And then it migrated to home consoles and then PCs and home consoles became, uh, and, and arcades have sort of withered. I mean, it, there's a Dave and Buster's around still, but they're, they're, <laughs> you don't see too many arcades as they used to. Uh, my, where,
0: I was in the I was in the central Oregon last uh, weekend, and yes. they have a virtual reality arcade.
1: Yes, that's exactly there. the point I was going to make. That there are now more virtual reality arcades now because of the COVID vaccine, those guys had to shut down for a good part of the time, but now, but they were developing arcades for real virtual reality type of experiences, Mm -hmm. multi-people experiences, uh, using VR headsets and, and such. And, uh, there's some interesting stuff that you do with that environment where you can actually make a space in virtual reality look bigger than it physically is by, Mm -hmm. by actually, uh, changing your your uh, your perception and you can actually think you're in a bigger space than you actually are wearing your headset um, but yeah that's sort of like that we had the headsets first and now we're getting the arcades so it's sort of a little bit backwards but yeah there right, are arcades right. are are starting to show up
0: Wow. Cool. So, I mean, like, I mean, what's, what do you feel just like as, as a guy who's watched technology develop over the years, what's, Mm -hmm. what are your expectations for this as a, as a legitimate business? Is it, is it still too early? Is it, are the conditions right? What do you think?
1: I don't know. It, 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 could be one of those situations where it, it sounds better in theory than in practice. And I think, Part of that is the hardware needs to get better. And then there's going to be this mixed reality blending between VR headsets with pass-through cameras, so you can sort of see what's around you, and they can mix stuff that way, um, versus AR headsets, which are something of like glasses, but we have projected images in, in your Uh, uh, on the glasses in your eyes. Field of view, yeah, yeah. yeah, Field of view. So there's a a blending of those, and I think that's what we're waiting for. Uh, You know, one company that was very uh, deep into the AR side was Magic Leap, and uh, they've got hundreds of millions of dollars invested in them, and then they've had a, they just didn't reach their potential, and they've taken a step back, uh, rebooted the company. Uh, and and a little more focused but they're still having they're still having struggles there a, the the ar side is just waiting for the right technology the, the right field of view uh optics and that's and and that we thought everybody believes it's going to come um, yeah. But it's going to take some time, and that's waiting. The technology needs to be there. That's that's definitely a situation where the technology needs to be there. But I'm, I think um, most people are more excited about that idea that you'd, I mean, especially us who wear glasses. That the, the no, people you know, who don't I wear glasses, yeah. yeah, the people who don't wear glasses, <laughs> they may not be as thrilled with the idea of having to wear glasses. But uh, but I don't mind uh, where you can project images into you and, and see overlays in your your eye. Uh, and that's that's pure science fiction. And I think that could be really cool. Um, and I'm more excited about that, but it's that's, that's still five years out, I think. The VR stuff is here now, clunky as it may be. It can get better over time, lighter uh, headsets. I think there's a lot of work that can be done to make the headsets lighter and more comfortable, uh, but yet balancing battery life and performance. It, it's a lot of engineering trade-offs there too, but... Those are here now, and you can get a feel for what's possible by by using those. And I, and, and I, you know, I've got the Oculus Quest, Quest Two. Um, I had the original Oculus Rift. I still have it, actually. Um, yeah. And so I've, I've dabbled in it, but the, uh, there's some cool stuff. Um, it's cool games like a uh, Beat Saber is a great game. There's a bunch of really cool games <laughs> in, and as well, but I'm still waiting for the real WoW thing that makes me want to put it on every day, and I ha- that hasn't happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know Google Glasses are what now? It's like six, six seven years ago. Is that? Oh
1: yeah, yeah. It's way- and th- yeah, I thought they I were think, cool. Got- Everybody else thought they were dorky.
0: Well, yeah, and some people were <laughs> kind of hostile. I mean, you know. Yeah. I- and I can I I kind of got it, yeah. but um, but it was also interesting because Google Glasses were coming out just as the communications companies were thinking about you know rolling out five G and their mm-hmm. thing was oh you don't have to do heavy glasses you just need a small you know you, you just need um, to be able to connect into the ubiquitous 5g network right right you know so much for ubiquitous 5g networks but um, well yeah but but the idea being that you know if you had pervasive networks able with with the kind of bandwidth that you can bop bop back and forth to Mm -hmm. you could feed those glasses and make them lighter and i'm wondering to what extent you hear anything about that
1: well, Qualcomm is still still pitching that idea. I think that's it's still yeah. part of the five G thing. Now, Google Glasses was four G LTE. Uh, time frame. So it was right. it is too early. Before, it was too early. The other thing is, especially with Google Glass, it had a very limited heads up display on just one side of the glass. It wasn't really it wasn't AR. It was really more of a heads up display as you would you mm-hmm. might call it. And mm-hmm. the amount of information that you could display in that could easily have been handled by 4G LTE. The other thing was it would record video and you could compress and stream that video up back up to the cloud as well uh but the video is what freaked everybody out uh because that's like you're recording me you're looking at me where where are you uh and and you know it was uh that's kind of what took a while for people to accept the idea that somebody was wearing glasses that recorded video that that you, you could be recording you and then snapchat did their own glasses and uh and now um So there are a number of glass glass solutions here with cameras in it they still haven't taken off because uh the biggest problem is battery you're trying to make it light where's the battery um so one of the solutions this is what magic leap did and this is what they used to do with regular ar uh, uh augmented reality glasses is they would wire down to a puck more or less a a standalone little device that would have the batteries in it, would have the processor. So it wasn't heavy on the headset. The other thing is people are going to get a little freaked out if you put a 5G headset or a 5G radio right next to right your next temple. To your yeah. <laughs> yeah, right next to your temple, you know? That, having the radio removed from your head a little bit is not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, there are also, and this is also common right now, is tethered. So your phone is still used... Um, for as connect- your for compu- connectivity. connectivity and for your compute. And then the glasses are just a, basically a dumb display in, in, in a sense. So that's another way of getting around uh, the cost and weight issue. But yeah. the idea is you now have a, you have a tether. Uh, maybe you could do a Bluetooth uh, 5.2, have maybe low power. You could stream it. It all depends on if you really want to do high-resolution video uh, on the displays, uh, Bluetooth is not not good at that. Uh, it, it's thought to be a, really a Wi-Fi solution, and then once you put Wi-Fi there, you've got radio and batteries and stuff. So it's a bit of a trade-off. Hmm,
0: hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, have we exhausted this this subject for the moment?
1: I, You know, like I said, uh, this is going to be uh, a developing story over the years. It's not, you know, we've been watching it develop. It's still not going away. Um, I think the buzz has gotten better. It's gotten bigger um, due to the Facebook event. And today, and, and Microsoft talking about their mesh uh, for business applications and co- uh, uh, you know, co-presence uh, type of applications. I, it's going to be uh, a, a subject for years to come. And it'll, uh, I think it's going to evolve and it'll get better. And then eventually, maybe we'll hit that tipping point. Cool. Yeah. So while
0: I got you, I wanted to ask about, uh, um, do two minutes on
1: supply chain. Yes. Uh,
0: Yes. How, how, how could uh, you? (laughs) nobody's talking about the supply chain. How did you know? Nah, nobody. It,
1: it, it's so totally, it's so totally lost. Nobody's talking about supply chain. Not even the president of the United States is talking about supply chain. Oh, well actually My no, he My mom is. said
0: supply <laughs> chain the other
1: day. I'm like, what are you, what's coming out of your mouth, mom? Uh, well, somebody had a, um, a Halloween costume. It was just a, a, a switched sweats, sweats, uh, shirt and stuff. And it said, and the sign was, uh, Stupid supply chain! I uh, can't get my uh, Halloween <laughs> ass uh, costume. <coughs> That's brilliant. Everybody, yes. Uh, there was a c- cartoon with Cookie Monster, and Cookie Monster asking, "What's this about supply chain effect cookies?"
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everybody's uh, talking about supply chain.
0: So, uh, is anybody doing anything about it?
1: It's well, like the weather.
0: Everybody yeah, talks about
1: the weather, but nobody does anything about it. Yeah, you know, it's it's a well. One thing: it's obviously a very complicated, multifaceted um, problem. Uh, there are some macro uh, problems with supply chain, like big ships stuck in harbors, and mm-hmm. uh, but there's there's also issues of labor shortages in certain key areas uh you know uh the the problem with the chip shortages may not be on the leading edge of foundry capacity but on some of the trailing edge uh foundry parts because you don't you know if you've got an older process node that you're using for some microcontrollers and stuff you don't invest in a lot more capacity in that space because those are those things are relatively inexpensive um and you don't buy new equipment you you use completely um, use your existing uh, stuff that's been uh,
0: refurbed or
1: refurbed or, or wrote writ down uh, so they're yeah. inexpensive to produce um, and, but buying new equipment to do that is not no, usually not economically uh, very good investment because mm-hmm. you know you think people can to move up to the next node eventually and then you've built more capacity than you need eventually. Uh, right. So there's that trade-off, um, yeah. And you know, some of it may have been planning. Uh, you know, there was a, a the automobile industry is one of the ones that's gotten the most attention. There was, uh, I think, a glitch when uh, COVID first hit, where they shut everything down. Um, so uh, a lot of capacity moved, um, and then when they restarted and said, "Oh, hey, we need a whole bunch of cars," um, uh, that capacity didn't come online as fast as they they had hoped. Uh, Tesla may have been hit. Uh, the least because there's so much of the stuff is new that mm-hmm. they didn't have a lot of legacy older parts in there and their design. So that may mm-hmm. have been one of the advantages of a company like Tesla, which is relatively new designs. Um, there, there's a lot of structural issues here and uh, in, in it's and some of the stuff's trying to get resolved. I mean, some of it is rules and regulations uh, like the port of uh, the, in Long Beach, changed some rules for how how, how many uh, shipping containers you could stack, just so they could stack more of them. And the, uh, right. so that there are there are lots of little structural issues along the way that they're trying to iron out, and they're having meetings in uh, Europe o- uh, over supply chain between the uh, the G twenty leaders. But um, th- there's th- this uh, is going to last for a while, I think. Uh, uh, a lot of people are saying it's going to last well into 2022, uh, and it's going to impact different industries different ways. Um, there was a report that Porsche is shipping cars that don't have all the chips in it uh, that they've that they've uh, you know deleted some features and still ship sh- in order to ship some cars. Huh. Uh, which I said is actually, there's going to be collectors of those cars because they'll say, oh, wow, a stripped down Porsche. That's ah, better than the, <laughs> the one with all the bells and whistles. Make it a special edition. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. there's that lemonade out of lemons, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I think there's a lot of structural issues and, and not all of it you just throw money at. And, and, and anything anything in, um, in the chip business takes many months to to fix you buy new equipment you bring it online if you have the space in your shell to to facilitate um then you start running lafers you got to make sure the wafer yields are are correct and Mm -hmm. that that takes many months before you can start you know manufacturing in volume so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of long-term uh improvements that, that, that are required to get us back in shape and then uh, memory is fickle. So uh, you put too much capacity in memory and then all of a sudden you have too much capacity if the market shifts a little bit. And uh, so th- then, you, then you're getting killed because you're not uh, utilizing your fab uh, sufficiently. And right. so it's a, it's a tough balancing act for the semi guys.
0: Yeah. Memory's always been fickle, but I, I'm getting a yeah. sense that um, there are... The awareness of the supply chain and how it's set up, um, yep. people seem to be uh, highly aware and actively doing things to make sure that, you know, when everything pulls out, mm-hmm. supply chains are are more rational. Um, and, but at the same time, it seems as if all these little – all everything that could go wrong at the same time is – People yeah. not going back to work when we expected them to do so. Ships, you know, you know, hanging out at sea. Uh, a ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal. You know, I mean. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That was that um, was a you know, that was
1: a major problem for for like a, a month. Yeah. I think it was weeks. It was. There and was, and
0: uh, people are supposedly still working that out. You know.
1: Yeah. So I mean, this is part of what uh, to. There's no. Um, ability to sort of grok this whole thing. And, you know, the Suez yeah. Canal being blocked um, was a major problem. And the, the efforts to fix that problem uh, fell upon some local uh, people you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in Egypt who weren't prepared to fix this kind of problem. So that was a major issue It's trying to resolve that. And uh, it's crazy.
0: We've been talking with Kevin Crewell, Principal Analyst at Tyrius Research. Kevin and his partner Jim McGregor and their friends are going to be joining us regularly once a quarter as we move forward to talk about current events and to provide wider business perspective. Kevin and I were just talking about the supply chain. A fundamental element of the supply chain in the electronics industry is the distribution business. Some of the biggest distributors are multi-billion dollar multinational conglomerates, and they're absolutely critical in getting the right parts to the customers who need them when they need them. Whenever there's any merger and acquisition activity, there's always the possibility that there will be some fallout for distributors. In other words, M&As carry the potential to disrupt the supply chain. Following its acquisition by Analog Devices, Incorporated last year, Maxim's business has been consolidated under Avnet competitor Arrow Electronics, Inc. Now, those two companies rank among the largest distributors in the world. And a disclaimer here, EE Times is part of AspenCore, and AspenCore is owned by Arrow. Anyway... Maxim accounted for approximately $500 million of Avnet's annual sales, which reached $19.5 billion in fiscal 2021. Barb Jorgensen is the editor of our sister publication, EPS News. Phil Gallagher is the CEO of Avnet. Barb caught up with Gallagher, who was in his office in Phoenix, the day after Avnet's fiscal Q1 earnings call. During the conversation, you'll hear Gallagher reference Farnell. That's Avnet's catalog business. Here's Barb Jorgensen with Avnet's Phil Gallagher.
2: So first um supplier consolidation. It's not new. Um, this isn't this isn't even the most, you know, recent move um with you know analog devices by other companies. Um so talk a little bit about the history of that, if you would.
3: Yeah, thanks, Barbara. Thanks for having me on and I hope everybody's doing well. Um yeah, we had a we did have a good quarter. Um I, I call it, uh, actually great quarters. And um at both the Adnet core and of course Farnell is part of Adnet Farnell had a, a, a record quarter uh, in the July, August, September quarter. So again, really proud of the team navigating uh, these uh interesting market conditions and uh, and working environment as you and I were talking. Looks so I've been with Adnet since 1982. So uh, you know. Supplier so consolidation is not new. It's it, it's it's part of what we deal with, and that's where the word adaptability comes in, and perseverance. And as you know, Barbara, we're in our one hundred year anniversary uh this year. And if you can't, if you're not going to adapt, you're not going to last hundred years. So, and I say that for distribution in general, because it affects you know, supplier so consolidation can affect you positively or negatively or or neutral. It depends on, on on the situation. And as I said on the analyst call, the earnings call yesterday, I mean. When I started, some of our top product lines were General Electric, uh, RCA, uh, Intercell Fairchild, Motorola, National Semi-Elector, uh, Intel and AMD, and, and they're the only two that are left out of that group. Okay, so it's, it is just something that continues to evolve. Who's next? We don't know. We don't sit in boardrooms, and nor do I even try to speculate. Um, and you know, we've been on the positive side of a lot of these, right? And uh, Infineon acquired Cypress, and we got Cypress back. Uh, Microchip acquired MicroSemi. We got MicroSemi. Um, Renesas acquired IDT and, and Dialogic recently. We, we, we've we been the, the benefactor of those. And so I can go on about the positives. Yeah, this most recent one, you know, the ball didn't bounce our way, you know, and uh, the incumbent with analog devices is going to pick up maximum. Um, and I want to assure all our customers and engineering communities out there, we will work with you uh, on that supply chain, okay, and be sure there's no disruption to service. Uh, you know, from a supply chain or from a technical standpoint. Um, from a, a size standpoint, it, it's roughly 3%. So in the grand scheme of things, it's 3% of our revenues. It, it, it's it's really uh, something that's very, very overcomable. And uh, matter of fact, we said on the earnings call, that it will have no effect uh, on the balance of our fiscal year, which goes through June. As far as the engineers go, uh, which we, we, you know, 30% of our business is captured in engineering designs, so we're absolutely committed to that. We're not reducing our field application engineers. We're not reducing our account management or inside sales teams. It's not large enough to do that, but we are gonna repurpose them to our other suppliers. And if you look at Maxim, for example, some of their biggest parts of the Maxim portfolio were data interface. Well, we've got some great solutions in data interface. You got Renesas, you got Microchip, NXP, ST Micro, and, and uh, Op Amps, you got uh, ON Semi, uh, again, Renesas, Microchip. So I go through the line card, you know, dio Inc. zinc we've got a, a phenomenal current line card. Okay, that can help us navigate the maximum loss in ADI and TI, which is now three years old. Okay, but more importantly, engineering community knows them, needs to know we we've got the solutions uh, in total that that can help them with their designs.
2: You, um, you alluded to this a little bit um, yesterday on the earnings call too and I think it's something worth um, worth expanding a bit on with Texas Instruments we had them begin with um, discontinuing their basically a distribution incentive program called demand creation um, and then has really you know limited its volume distribution now which is probably pretty much what you know that the channel is doing with TI. And um, with analog, um, with its acquisition of um, linear, um, consolidated its volume business under a single global distributor um, and it's following suit with, with Maxim. In in general, um, what does this say about kind of the, the semiconductor industry and its um, you know, either reasons for doing this? Um, are they margin driven? Is it a a sales, uh, you know, a direction of sales that they're going in? Um, I'm not smart enough to draw any conclusion, yeah. but uh, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that.
3: Well, I think Texas, you know, we don't talk about them much anymore. You know, they they, they started that 15, 20 years ago, right? Um, so that, there was a clear trend of where their direction was to more direct uh, less reliance on the channel, uh, which is happening, continuing to happen, even though they've already consolidated into one. Um, maximum, you know, if you look at Maximum, about 30% of our business was tied to design. The balance was was fulfillment, which really tie, which really ties out, Barbara, to the same, at a corporate level, it's, our business and demand creation is roughly 30%. And it's still 30%, even with some of the line losses we just talked about. So I think there's a growing reliance, frankly, on the channel for, for hitting that, that longer tail of customers. There's no doubt the most efficient way for customer, for these suppliers to go to market is, is through distribution. Okay, it's their most profitable channel in the market. I don't have any suppliers that I can speak to that are looking to move away from demand creation or design incentives uh, through supply chain. So um, are there gonna be adjustments to it? Yeah, there's always gonna be adjustments to it, right? We, we're actually investing more in digital um, digital you know online design services support in addition to our field application engineers we're adding centers of excellence around certain technologies we're increasing our software print i mean you, you look at lines like designing we didn't talk about that yet. you know we, we we're, we're 75 eighty percent of their of their business and, and and their designs right so and we do reference designs for them so i i don't you know it'll change I mean, of course it's going to change um and, and and we'll adjust as we always have but again we don't we, we, we don't see us at, at, at risk there. And lines like Monolithic Power Supply, great line, okay, starting up, been around for a few years, actually, but they really rely on us to help hit those customers that they, they just can't hit from an efficiency standpoint.
0: That was my colleague, Barb Jorgensen, editor of EPS News, and Phil Gallagher, CEO of Avnet. Barb has a story on EPS News with details about Avnet's strategy following the purchase of Maxim by ADI. And that concludes this episode of the weekly briefing. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, but if you go to our website at eetimescom podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we mentioned. The weekly briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McCray at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. Did you just use the word grok, You old hippie. Yeah, I did. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Okay, fine. You know, we'll have to teach the kids what that means. I'll put I'll put, I'll put like a little editor's note in the uh, in the oh, transcript.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's used <laughs> enough in uh, in the text base. So I think I'll people oh, yeah, know sure. what grok yeah. means.
0: Yeah, Stranger well, oh, and yeah, a stra- Stranger in
1: a Strange Land is the book, and it was written, but uh, in Santa Cruz, actually. Now that I
0: didn't know. Yes. Yeah, man, I I'm, I got to go back to my Highland. Yeah. <laughs>